0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, good morning, Cross Lane, and also all of those who are checking in with us from uh, other states, other cities, uh, friends, and family that you have probably invited to join us for Easter. Welcome to Cross Lane uh, Easter Services 2020. uh, We're excited to have you. Um, you know, I've never been to the Holy Land. I've, I probably will never get a chance to go to the Holy Land. I've, I've had friends of mine that have gone, and they've told me how amazing it is. I've seen pictures and videos. Uh, I'm going to show you some of those today uh, and sharing some of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, but it's Easter, and we talk about the resurrection. That's what we do on Easter Sunday and, and um, even throughout the year. The, the, the resurrection is a big, big part of our faith. In fact, it's the linchpin. It's the thing it's all built on. So uh, I'm excited to do that with you this morning. But before I get into that, I just want to talk to a couple of different groups of people, Uh, specifically one group of people that I want to talk to. uh, You might describe yourself as a skeptic. You you may even describe yourself as an atheist. And I think it would surprise some folks that uh, you're checking in with us this morning. I happen to have great respect for you. If If you have taken time And you're going to invest some of your time with me this morning to listen to what I have to say. I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your investment of time. I know that's valuable. I respect it. And I respect you. I respect the position that you hold um, in your uh, agnosticism or your atheism. Uh, As you listen this morning, I just want you to feel welcome. I want you to know that I'm really glad you've decided to join us but I also would invite you, just for a just for this little brief period of time that we're going to be together, to try to suspend some things that normally you would carry with you. One of them is a bias that you likely have to the supernatural. I know you probably don't believe in supernatural things. I'm just going to ask you to set that aside for about 30 minutes. And uh, when we're done, uh, you can pick it back up if you want to. But but for the sake of what we're doing this morning, if you would just lay that bias to the side and just keep an open mind as I talk to you about some, some things that I believe are evidences and some of the reasons why I and others like me have the faith that we do. Uh, so again, I just want to thank you for being with us and, and, and spending some time with us this morning. Second group I want to talk to are those of you who, who are likely longtime uh, Jesus followers, um but somewhere along the way your faith has kind of grown cold and you've kind of tuned in this morning to um because you know it's easter and you know you're supposed to but if if someone were to really ask you hey how do you feel and what's going on with you um if you were totally honest you would say you know the light has kind of gone out for me um i believe but i'm not necessarily all that passionate about it i don't know how much uh, faith I actually have. My faith feels weak and it feels, uh, I'm just not as excited as I used to be. I hope to be able to reignite some of that excitement for you this morning and remind you of the excitement you had when you first came to Jesus and when you first believed and when you first started to live your life for Christ. One of my goals today is to just reignite something in you that makes you remember, hey, that's why I believe that and uh, I have very good reason to do so. And then the third group of people I want to talk to our Christians, young and old, uh, Christians that have been Christians for many, many years like me, or maybe you've, you've recently come to faith, uh, I, I just want to talk to you and, and encourage you and, and really um, I want to show you some scriptures, I want to uh, share some video and some pictures with you and um, just talk a little bit about our, our faith and the resurrection and how those two things come together and uh, really just want to give you some hope this morning and I want to inspire you really. Um, You know, at at Easter time, uh, on a normal Easter weekend, if you were to go to the Holy Land, something that happens in the Holy Land at this time of year, on Good Friday, thousands of pilgrims flood into Jerusalem. And um, one of the things they do when they get there is they carry this 75-pound cross through the streets of Jerusalem. The route they take is something called the Via Dolorosa. It originates at the fortress of Antonia and it terminates at the, the uh, traditional uh, site of the crucifixion of Jesus, what they believe to be the, the crucifixion of Jesus site. Um, now, it, wouldn't it be tragic if the story ended with Jesus on the cross? Uh, if that was where our story ended, we wouldn't even really have a story. Uh, no one would be talking about Jesus today. There are tons of men and women who died on crosses. Uh, Dying on a cross didn't make you famous. Dying on a cross didn't mean that you were God. Dying on a cross didn't mean that anybody should sit up and take special notice of you. It's not the dying on the cross part that really sets Jesus apart. Now, what he did on the cross, when you combine that with the resurrection, uh, we believe that's where it's all at. Those two things combined um, really mean everything for us in our faith. Um, But if if there had been no resurrection, we would not be talking about Jesus this morning. We would not have any thought that Jesus was any more special than anybody else if it were not for the resurrection. But the empty tomb is where Jesus turned tragedy into triumph. It's where Jesus went from victim to victor. And by raising from the dead, Jesus conquered sin and death and he proved that he was the son of God. He proved that he was the savior of the world. I want to uh, do something this morning. I want, what I want to do is I want to take you on a little trip. I want to uh, take you from Terre Haute or wherever it is that you're viewing from this morning. And I want to fly to Jerusalem to a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. This is considered by many to be the holiest place in Christianity. Now, I know some of you think that that's actually Terre Haute, Indiana, but it's not. It's, most people think if you ask them, they would say that, that this is one of the holiest spots for Christianity Um, it's generally considered the traditional site where Jesus was crucified and, and it's also considered to be the site of the empty tomb. Uh, the church of the Holy Sepulchre is traditionally believed to be built right on top of Calvary or on top of what they call or refer to the Bible refers to it. We'll see later as Golgotha. And from a a geographical standpoint, the location seems to match a lot of the details that we are given in scripture. It's, it's, uh, it's just outside the ancient city wall of Jerusalem, it has been the, the city has expanded to include this section now, but back in the day, this would have fallen outside the city walls. And it's also next to a major thoroughfare, a major road that would have been very heavily traveled because Romans wanted people to see the crucifixion. It was very important that um, when people passed by, the Romans wanted them to see what was going on with those crosses and the crucifixion. Now... I want to show you another picture. I want to show you what is known as the garden tomb. And I want to read from Scripture today from the book of Mark. And it's here that we're going to get some uh, great clues. And, and, uh, and we're going to also connect some of that with archaeology. It's, it's, it's at this point where these two things kind of collide. And it means something for us in our faith. Um, I don't want your faith to be built on emotion. I want it to be built on more than that. And I want to be able to supply this morning some evidence and some facts for you to consider. And hopefully in combining those two things, it, it helps you to be able to build your faith on a little firmer foundation. I think sometimes, um, you know, we, we believe, but we don't, aren't really sure why we believe. And I, I just want to, just personally, from my standpoint, want to share with you, um, this is some of the reason that I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Just after the crucifixion, we read this in the book of Mark. This comes from Mark chapter 15. It uh, says this all, verse 42, this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. So this would have been Good Friday. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Jesus was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom Now, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a a wealthy follower of Jesus, and he was a a member of the religious council. Uh, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea had watched Jesus die, and, and from his standpoint, he saw this innocent man die on the cross. And when he saw that, he made the determination, he wanted to see to it that this man received a proper burial. Uh, so we 're told in in Mark Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for jesus body. Now this was a big move. this is a bold move. Um, there are a bunch of people in the city of Jerusalem right now who hated Jesus and uh, to to go and ask for the body of Jesus now you 're kind of aligning yourself or you're you 're uh, setting yourself uh, next to Jesus as a follower or as a sympathizer and this could have you know, potentially turned out not well for Joseph of Arimathea. We're told in verse 44, Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So there are five theories of the resurrection of Jesus. Five, basically five different ways you can go. About two years ago for the Easter message, I preached a sermon on the five theories of the resurrection. And uh, if you didn't catch that, I would encourage you to go to our website, www.clcchurch.com. I believe it was 2018. I did a, a sermon on that about the five theories of the resurrection. One of those theories is known as the swoon theory. And the swoon theory says that Jesus actually wasn't dead when they took him down off of the cross, that uh, his body was in a state of shock or that he had passed out. Um, He wasn't actually dead. What we're finding out in, in the book of Mark is that, you know, Pilate is told that Jesus has expired on the cross. He's a little surprised to hear that. And then we read this in verse 44. So he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate has now sought and received military confirmation that Jesus has in fact expired on the cross, which is a a direct refutation of one of the theories uh, postulated that Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, the theory that it was the swoon theory. This kind of lays to rest the swoon theory. Jesus was in fact dead when they took him off the cross. We're we're told at the end of verse 45, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Now at this point, um, it's important. This is an important point to make because the tomb where Jesus laid the body of Jesus was probably a man-made tomb. It's, been, it's probably, been, probably been carved out of the, the limestone that was prevalent in that uh, particular region along uh, uh, you know, a cliff side. We're told then that that, uh, Joseph rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Now, let me show you a picture here, and I want to be clear. This isn't, uh, no one believes that this is the actual site where Jesus rose from the dead, but this is a perfect example of the the kind of rock that would have been used to cover a tomb. Uh, This is exactly the kind of rock likely that Joseph of Arimathea used to cover the tomb of Jesus. Um, the way tombs were constructed, there was a little channel in front of the, the opening for the tomb, and you would set the rock down in this channel, and it was probably on a little bit of an incline. Uh, it would take probably a couple of men to roll that stone up the incline and chalk it, and uh, it would rest there until someone put someone in a tomb, and then when you wanted to seal it, likely one person could kick the chalk out of the way, and it would roll down into place it would have been uh, hollowed out a little bit underneath the uh, right in front of where the hole of the tomb would have been and the rock would come then and settle in place and it would stay there and stay put Uh, we're told in verse 47 mary magdalene and mary the mother of of joseph saw where jesus body was laid so they've seen where jesus is is going to be now i want to read to you from matthew chapter 27 i want to pick up in verse 62 The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens... We will be worse off than we were at first. Now, this is a refutation of the second of the five theories of the resurrection, and that is that the disciples stole the body. Matthew goes out of his way to make sure that these men went uh, to Pilate and asked for a a more secure tomb. They wanted it guarded because they were trying to protect this idea that someone might come and steal the, the body of Jesus. It's interesting because at this point, Jesus' enemies are taking his resurrection more seriously than Jesus' disciples took the resurrection. You know, they're saying basically, hey, we remember while this guy was still alive, he was talking about raising from the dead. And, and we want to make sure that, that, you know, nobody thinks that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's quite possible that his disciples are going to want to come and take his body and then start screaming about a resurrection and so we don't want any fake news. We don't want anybody claiming that there's been a resurrection. We don't want a resurrection hoax. So to help us protect against having this body stolen, Pilate, we're asking that you, you give us some, some type of, of guard or protection around the tomb so that that can't be the case. So what you have is that the church at the time and the state conspiring together, and the church is asking the state, seal the tomb for us protect the tomb. Make sure that nobody can get in there. Uh, I love Pilate's response. Pilate, in verse 65, Pilate says, take guards and secure it the best you can. In other words, good luck with that, right? Good luck trying to secure that that tomb. I'm not totally convinced that Pilate didn't believe who Jesus was, and I'm not totally convinced that Pilate Uh, There's a part of him that's that's thinking, you know, I don't if if he's who he says he is, I'm not sure he's going to stay in any tomb. Um, But he turns them loose. Verse 66. So they sealed the tomb, posted guards to protect it. Um, They sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So the way a a Roman tomb is sealed is they would uh, they would roll the, the stone in place, as I described earlier. It's in this track and they would roll it into place. It would come to rest in front of the opening of the tomb. And then they would drive a spike on either side into the rock. They would drive a spike on either side of the the rolling rock into the the limestone that's actually the tomb, and that would affix the stone. It wouldn't move to one side or the other. And then they would drape a ribbon or some type of cord across from one spike to the other, and they would seal that with wax, with a a wax seal that had the... uh, the emblem of Rome in some capacity on it. I don't know if it was Pilate's seal or, or who actually was identified with this seal, but when you saw it, it was very clear you're not to tamper with this seal. To have done so would have been punishable by execution. So uh, nobody's going to mess with this tomb once it's sealed up by the Romans, and that's, in fact, what happened. Verse 65, you know, Pilate tells them, just go make it as secure as you know how. Now, here's what I think. I don't care who you put outside the tomb of Jesus. I don't care if it's Paul Blart Mall Cop. I don't care if it's John McClain from uh, Die Hard Fame. I don't care if it's Barney Fife uh, from, from the Andy Griffith Show and Mayberry. Uh, I don't care if you go get the full cast of the Expendables and put them around the tomb. I don't care if you go get the United States military. As much respect as I have for the United States military If Jesus Christ wants to come out of that tomb, nobody is keeping him in there. And so what I'm trying to do with you today is I'm trying to piece together a puzzle to help you see how all this fits together. So on Friday, Jesus is buried, day one. Then comes day two. And on day two, nothing is going on. Can you imagine what it must have felt like if you were a follower of Jesus on that Saturday after Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. Um, what would it have been like to have been one of the disciples? I mean, basically, at this point, you're thinking, he's gone. He's gone. We're never going to see him again. What must they have been thinking? I'll tell you one of the things they probably were not thinking. I don't think they were thinking that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. You say, Brett, why do you say that? Um they weren't thinking that. I think if they'd been thinking that, you would they wouldn't have been in an upper room somewhere huddled together. They were afraid they were next. They were afraid that somebody was going to come and call them out and put them on a cross somewhere. So they had all huddled and hid out in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. Um, but I'll tell you what they didn't do. They didn't go huddle around the tomb. They didn't go stand around and do a countdown as if they expected or were looking for a resurrection to happen. That, that's not how it went down. Um, they were trying to find their way out of two or three different emotions that likely they were going through, this, this uh, state of mind that they were in. And I can identify for you at least uh, three emotions that the disciples were feeling uh, after Jesus is crucified and on that Saturday, you know, when, when it's all over with. I mean, it's done. They've crucified him. We know he's dead. They've put him in the tomb. Now What? now it's over as far as they were concerned. And so I think they're working through three different emotions. I think the first of those is anger. These guys have left everything to follow Jesus. They've spent three years watching him do some amazing things. And uh, he made a lot of promises and he said a lot of things and they believed that stuff. And now from their standpoint where they sit and what they're looking at, they're thinking to themselves, you know, he lied to us. Uh, This is all over. We we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to Uh, do some amazing things. And and now he's been crucified and it's over. So I think anger is one of the things that Jesus uh, left the disciples feeling. I think another is fear. As I said, these guys are all huddled in an upper room. Uh, You know, I can, you can just imagine them peeking through a window to make sure nobody's coming to get them. But I think um, you kind of get some sense of the state of fear that they're in. Even when Jesus was arrested in the Gethsemane these guys scattered like cockroaches when the lights came on i mean nobody was around they just went in all different directions uh, when they arrested jesus so their state of mind is one where they're they're not um they're fearful and they're all huddled together kind of drawing strength from one another and then the the last uh, emotion that i think that they're experiencing is depression this idea that it's over, the dream is dead. You know, these great plans that we had and all this stuff that we thought was going to happen with Jesus, um, it, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, w- you know, we we bought it hook, line, and sinker, and now it's over. And man, it's just kind of depressing when you had these great big plans and you're left with nothing. And, and from the disciples perspective on Saturday, that's what they're left with. They're left with nothing. And so I want to just pause right there for a moment and talk about uh, us and our life and just perspective for just a moment. Um, you know, we go through things that are difficult. We go through things that are hard. We go through things that we can't explain and, and you know, people feel for us and they, they want to comfort us and sometimes we, we're inconsolable. We, it's, it's uh, you know, we just don't want to hear it. We don't want to think about it and we just wonder, you know, how am I ever going to get past this? I think that might be, how the disciples of Jesus felt on Saturday. But it's a matter of perspective. If you're going through something hard right now, as we all are, and these days we're going through something rather difficult, Um, but one of these days we're going to look back on this time and we're going to see while, yes, it wasn't great and we went through some hardship, I firmly believe that there are going to be some some victories that come out of the experience we've had with this whole COVID-19 coronavirus thing. Um, I think it's likely that somebody will have invented something during this time. I think some great books will have been written during this time. I think some people will have made some decisions that will have altered their life and may alter our life one of these days But with, uh, you know, who runs for office or who decides to um, be an attorney or a doctor or something like that. Um, So the perspective we have today will be a different perspective as we look back on it. And I think that that's true of the disciples. I think had you gone to the disciples on Saturday and asked them, is the death of Jesus a good thing or a bad thing? Is the crucifixion a good thing or a bad thing? On Saturday, the day after the crucifixion, I think any disciple you asked, they would have said, oh, it's, it's horrible. This is the worst thing ever. We've lost the Christ. We've, we've lost our leader. We've lost Jesus. Um, Saturday wasn't a good day. For the disciples, it was a day of anger, it was a day of fear, it was a day of depression. But then you come to day three, and I think if you had asked the disciples on day three, I think if you were to talk to the disciples a week after the crucifixion, the perspective shifts now, they see things in a different light, they're able to see how the death of Christ, what it means for mankind. Uh, Because on day three, everything's going to change. We get this from the book of Mark. This is Mark chapter 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And what you see, hopefully, when you read that passage, is the tenderness that they had for Jesus, the love that they had for Jesus. It's the modern-day equivalent, you know, when when we care about someone and they're going through a loss, oftentimes we'll send flowers to the funeral home as a, a, a show of respect a show of condolence, and we're, we're basically saying, hey, we're, we're sharing this grief with you, we want you to know we're thinking about you, and here are some flowers to uh, be a representation of our, of our grieving with you. Um, it's just what we do for someone that we love. Uh, last year, over Memorial Day weekend, I happened to be at home with my parents, and uh, Dee Dee and I got in the car with them, and we made a drive about an hour away to my parents' hometowns. And we went to the tombs of their parents, my grandparents. And uh, my parents laid flowers on those graves. It was a very touching, uh, solemn moment when we, we just kind of spent a little time there remembering our lost loved ones. And, and uh, so that's kind of what these ladies are going to do. It's a demonstration of respect. It's a demonstration of love and remembrance. Now, one of the things that I love about this story is how these women were not going to be deterred by the obstacles. They went and bought spices, and they're going to anoint the body of Jesus, but they really have no idea whether or not they're going to be able to get into the tomb. They don't know whether there's been a stone put in front of it. Um, I think they suspect that there has been, a, they, based on what we're going to read in a minute, they suspect that there has been a stone placed there, but I don't think that they realize not sure whether or not they know that Pilate has given orders to secure the tomb. We read this in, in chapter 16 of Mark, verse 2. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And this is where archaeology intersects with the faith of believers, and it, it helps to confirm our faith. In the 18th century, a discovery was made that rocked Jerusalem. Uh, a, a second location was discovered as the potential site for the garden tomb of Jesus. There was a, a, a general, uh, a British leader named General Charles Gordon, and he was living in Jerusalem at the time. General Gordon was a student of the scriptures, and one day he stood on top of the north wall of the the old city of Jerusalem, and as he looked out, what he saw as he stood there and looked at it is is something that looked similar to a skull in the the face of the the side of the the cliff that he was looking at. Um, I want to highlight that for you in an area in the hillside, and I want you to see if you can kind of pick out the skull just by looking at it there. Can you see it? Um, I want to pull in a little closer now and let's see if you can see it uh, now. And then I I went out and I made a little video for you to have a little fun and and just to show you, see if you can help visualize this skull. Maybe what uh, General Charles Gordon was seeing, this idea of the skull in the side of the mountain as he looked at it, that's what came out to him. Uh, Chapter 15 of Mark verse 22 says this, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Golgotha is uh, Aramaic for uh, skull, and it's likely describing the shape of the hill in some way or or the image of a skull on the side of the hill. And General Gordon really was the first one to suggest that this was the historical site of Golgotha uh, and, and that it really wasn't the church of the Holy Sepulchre like so many people had thought that it was. And as you think about it, When you start putting the pieces together, there's quite a bit of evidence to support that. Um, This is right alongside the the main road where many crucifixions would have taken place. And you say, well, Brett, why did they do that? Why did they crucify people right there on the main thoroughfare? Because Rome wanted to send a message to any would-be rebel that if you mess with us, this is what you get. Uh, The crucifixions were used in large part as a deterrent to future crime. Uh, people would walk by and see the horrendous pain, excruciating pain, that a, a crucified uh, person was going through, and they would say to themselves, boy, I don't ever want any part of that. And so it was a very effective crime deterrent for the city of Rome. Okay, right, right there at the end, I screwed that up, so I'm going to back up just a little. Okay. Secondly, when archaeologists excavated this area, they discovered an ancient garden tomb that they date to about the 7th or 8th century B.C. That would be 700 years before the birth of Christ. Um, This is a picture of that tomb, and it is found at the base of Skull Hill. It has a cistern for watering the garden that is close by. It has a wine press that's there. And we know that it was the tomb of of a rich man because it was carved out of the rock. It was more expensive to do that. This wasn't a natural cave. Uh, And it was General Gordon who was the first to say, this is the most likely place uh, for the tomb of Jesus. So as these women are making their way to the tomb, they're wondering to themselves, how in the world are we ever going to get that stone rolled away? And how are we going to get in there to do do this anointing that we want to do? We read this in Mark 16, verse 4. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now a couple of things to point out to you about the tomb. If you look at this picture, what you'll see, I've got highlighted for you a a tract there, a, a little trough That is where the the stone would have rested. It would have been inside that trough. Second thing I would show you is, um, I'm going to circle this in this first picture, an area that I want to highlight in a moment. The circled area is what is believed to be a part of the seal that the Romans used, these spikes that they used to drive in to the the rock there to be used for the seal for the the rock. Uh, Now let me zoom in on that for you. This is the sheared-off iron pin. The stone would have been rolled into place uh, in front of the tomb. They would have driven these pins on either side, draped a ribbon or a cord of some kind from one to the other, and they would have sealed that up. And so the garden tomb contains authentic carbon-dated material, a giant trough for rolling the stone, and giant pins manufactured by the Romans driven into the rock where they could have actually sealed up this tomb by order of of the Roman government. Um, And now I want to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to listen as he describes the details. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. Now I have told you. Another of the theories of the resurrection to try to explain it away is the theory that the women in their grief went to the wrong tomb. Well, from a physical standpoint, uh, really to correct this, all you have to do is, is grab these women by the shoulders, walk them to the real tomb, let them look inside and see the dead body of Jesus and, and, and then at that point say, shut up. you know, Stop talking about a resurrection. There's the dead body of Jesus. That never happened. From a, a spiritual standpoint, these women encountered what scripture calls an angel of the Lord and he explained to the women what had happened. Jesus had risen from the dead just as he said he would. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He is risen. Understand this, Confucius never walked out of the tomb. Buddha never walked out of the tomb. Muhammad never walked out of the tomb. The resurrection of Jesus is what makes Christianity unique to anything else. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, my whole faith is built on that. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I am wasting my time as a pastor. So what does the resurrection prove? Well, first of all, it proves that Jesus kept his promise. It proves that you can trust your life to him and you can trust him to remove your sin from you and that he will save you. It means also, secondly, that death is not the end in this life. Um, You know, we we tend to fear death and we we shouldn't. If we have our faith in Christ and in the resurrection, we should not fear death the way we, we typically do. There is life after death. There is eternal life and a reunion awaits for those of us who have lost loved ones who have gone on before us. And then the third thing it means, it means that death is temporary. It means that the worst thing is not the final thing. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8. This is beautiful language. Romans 8 verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. What that's saying is the very spirit that rose Christ from the dead is inside you. And that Jesus not only is one day going to raise your physical body after your death, he will raise your physical body. Jesus wants to raise your spiritual body today. If you're at a point where you just feel defeated and you feel like you can't take another step, if, you, if you're to a point where you just feel um, you know, confused or, or um, you're ready to give up, what Jesus wants to say to you this morning is, I want to raise you. I want to lift you. I want to give you a new hope. The resurrection is our promise from Jesus that the, the pain we've experienced, the loss that we go through, and some of you have gone through some excruciating pain in the last year. The resurrection is a promise that the pain you feel is a temporary pain. It will not last forever. There will be a reunification. There will be a beautiful day for you in the future. The separation you feel from loved ones who have gone on before you is not an eternal thing. It is a temporary thing. We will be reunited with our loved ones one of these days. And we will be reunited with Christ. And we will spend an eternity there in happiness and joy. There will be no more pain, no more sorrows, no more tears, no more death, no more separation. All of that will be done with. We will have experienced that and moved on. Christ will bring us into a, a time when those things will never touch us ever again. First Corinthians, first, uh, chapter fifteen says this. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves if all we get out of christ is a little inspiration for a few short years we are a pretty sorry lot but the truth is that christ has been raised up the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries easter means a death to death get ready for some good news Romans 8 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You read a little bit further in the book of Romans chapter 8 there. You come to verse 34 and it says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, we don't just believe this stuff because it makes us feel good. We believe this because there is very, very good evidence to believe this. I don't just believe in a resurrection because I just think it sounds good and I want to believe in one. I look at the evidence that's put before me. I look at the veracity of the gospel accounts that we've spent three weeks now talking about how reliable these accounts are. I look at things like the garden tomb, and I look at spikes in the wall, and I look at the trough, and I look at the, the, the skull on the side of the hill. Are those proofs of a resurrection? No, they are not proofs, but they are evidence for our faith in what we believe is the resurrection. Uh, The account of Pilate asking whether or not Jesus was in fact dead and getting assurance that he was. Um, The idea that they placed guards at the tomb so that somebody couldn't steal the body of Jesus, whether it be uh, the disciples of Jesus. Another theory of the resurrection is that the Romans stole the body of Jesus. And again, if you've stolen the body of Jesus and you're you're the party that wants to put that idea of a resurrection down, you show them the body and say, hey, you're wrong about this. That never happened. Christ gave up his life and he, he, he took on himself our sin, our, our mess-ups, all of our stuff when he went to the cross. They put him in a tomb and three days later he arose victorious over death. Romans 5.8 is without question my favorite passage of scripture in the whole Bible. I love Romans 8. Um, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And then right after that, you come to Romans 10, 9. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, But do you know what didn't come out of the grave? You know, they crucified Jesus and they put him in the tomb. And three days later, he came out. But do you know what didn't come out of the grave? Your sin. Your sin did not come out of the grave. Our sin stays buried in the tomb. Forever. One of the beautiful things that happened uh, when Jesus Christ was crucified is something that we refer to as the doctrine of imputation. And what that means is, you know, we live life and we go through life and we, we make mistakes and sometimes we willfully sin. We do things that we miss the mark. You know, we're trying for perfection. We're trying to, to be the kind of person that we think God wants us to be, but we 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 aren't good. We aren't always good and we make mistakes. And so, if you just imagine that we were wearing a tunic, and every time we sinned, we got a black mark on that tunic. Uh, at the cross, what happened is Jesus, for those who believe and those who receive this, uh, Jesus basically took off his pure white tunic, and he exchanged our dirty, marked up, black marked tunic, and he exchanged it with us. And he put on the dark one. He put on the one that's mauled. He put on the one that's marred. and. And black with with all of our sin and he gave us uh, what what romans refers to as his righteousness uh, a perfect covering so that when christ when god looks at us what he sees is, is a, a, a perfect representation of jesus when when god sees us after we've been forgiven by jesus after we've received his gift of of forgiveness from the cross what god sees in us is a a perfect believer in Jesus because Christ has forgiven us. Christ has taken on our sin and he nailed it to the cross. And when he came up out of that grave, he left it in the tomb. Boy, that's exciting to me. Uh, It it sets me free. It should make you feel free. We have been set free from sin and death. So uh, to the one who maybe had lost a little bit of their faith, to the one who... Uh, maybe been dragged down a little bit and you were moving kind of slow in your faith. I hope that reignites you. I hope it excites you. I hope you come to a place where you, you really do uh, get inspired by what Jesus did for you on the cross. For those of you who've been Christians for a long, long time, um, you know the story and, and you love the story. And I'm sure you're smiling with me right now as you think about the the glorious day when Jesus came out of that tomb. And then finally, for those of you who would describe yourself as a skeptic or maybe even an atheist, um, if you've stuck with me to this point, I, I want to thank you. you. You do me an honor by giving me your time and your attention, and I respect that. I respect you. Um, I-, I just want to say to you that if you ever want to talk more about this in a safe space, if you have questions, if there are some things that maybe I've said today that you'd like to know more about, I would love to have the opportunity to. have a conversation with you you can reach out to me by uh, email through our website Uh, i would be happy to sit down and have a a further conversation with you uh, about the resurrection of jesus it's the big day for christians this is the day that that we rejoice because it's the day that changed everything for us the day that jesus overcame the grave conquered death and ensured that one day we will spend an eternity with god what a day it's going to be when we finally get to get there with Jesus. I um, hope today's been inspirational for you and educational. Hope your faith has been built uh, as we've gone through these, uh, these thoughts together. I want to pray with you before we close now and just um, uh, hope that you have a, a great Easter day. Let's pray together. Father, we are so, so thrilled at the prospect of having our sin forgiven. Um, it is not lost on us the price that you paid for our sin. You sent Jesus. He died an excruciatingly painful death, both physically and spiritually, to take our sin onto himself, to take physical nails through his hands and through his feet, and to die a death on a cross. Uh, Father, just amazing to us that you love us that much. And Lord, we find ourselves in these moments now just rejoicing that that's not where he stayed. He rose from the grave. And because he did, we have hope. We have an eternity to look forward to. And we just, in these moments, uh, bless you and praise you and honor you for loving us enough, not just to die for us, but to raise for us and to take away any fear we may have of death itself. You are awesome. And we praise you this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.